Welcome, everyone, to another week with your host, Mordechai Weinberger and Harav Nissen. It is an honor and a hook to be here, to be able to do this program, to create a mental health awareness program. For those of you that would like to ask your question, the number is 718-683-558-718-683-5858. And we really do look forward to having your questions and your comments. And we'll appreciate them, anything along the mental health field. Of course, we always request that it should be family appropriate. We also request that if you're asking your question, you're under the age of 18, get your parents' permission. And as always, we're aware that once you ask the question, it's a live program, that once you ask the question, it won't be removed. Again, the number to ask the question is 718-683-5858. And we really do look forward to taking your questions and your comments. At this time, I'd like to start discussing a little bit of the concept perm is coming up. And there's a lot of family issues that come up, which is who's having the pseudo where? We want to go to our parents. The other one's side might want to go to their side. Well, what happens if you're the parents and you're starting to have a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law or a son or a daughter that won't be able to make it to the pseudo and now it starts getting politics. People start taking it personal. And what happens if it turns out that this child is going a lot more to their in-law side, and now you're feeling hurt? How do you discuss it? When do you bring it up? And aren't you right that you're the parent? You also deserve to see your married children or even your grandchildren or at Yantiv when families are together. It's something if you see them on Shabbos, but there's something else when you have family together, and it's a whole different energy. Rav Nissen, what do you say about this concept that comes up a lot that happens with families? And this is an excellent uh, concept because we're right now in front Purim, and Pesach is coming, and this is something very that we are always discussing, and it's, it's worth to, to repeat and talking about it. It's very important, very, very That's important. Right. And what's important is that many of us take it personal and we're looking at our side. I mean, let's say you're a parent and you're feeling slighted that your son or your daughter-in-law isn't coming to you as much. Or let's, or I even mean, let's say your son or your daughter, because it could be a son-in-law for a reason. It could be a daughter-in-law for the reason, whatever reason it should be. But when they're not coming to you, what happens is we parents, we're humans, and we're taking it personal. Our son or daughter doesn't like us as much, or their spouse is pulling them away from us, or the family won't be together as much if they don't come to Simchas, or maybe we feel that this person isn't such a good spouse to our child. And what's happening is we start becoming another factor. That means that not only... Will your son or your daughter need to make a decision or see what has to happen? There's now a trigger going on. Rav Nissen. One second. Yeah. And yeah, Ramada, hi. It's definitely yeah. very important. And you know that. People, you know, just that what you call it, assumption. We we make, you know, some assumption about what they're thinking, how they're thinking, why they're not coming, why they're coming, why, they, you know, all this kind of uh, uh, scenario in our head 
And sometimes she's really seeking uh, uh, thick ideas in our head, and that's not the other side. And I know, I know that. Um, yeah, few few days ago, I got some kind of a video about a guy talking about relationship between parents, and very very important how to respect our parents. And I had a very very big e- issue with this kind of show. And I know that I spoke about that. People, we make a, a, a very uh, strong assumption about, you know, people. And the guy talking about that we don't respect enough our parents. And it's very important. It's true that many times we don't respect. But also it's like, as a parent, I look at the other side. How we respect our children enough? How we bringing them close to enough? And this is something that we have to ask, ask our, ourselves all the time, you know. Are we respecting our son-in-law, daughter, daughter-in-law enough? And this is it. And you know, we said in the Masachet Avot, Kol HaMechabed, Ezu Mechubad, HaMechabed Tabriot. Who is one that really respects other people? And he gets respected. This is something yeah. that's very important to see, that to check ourselves all the time. Where are we standing off? And I, I, you know, the guy, the guy spoke about a big, big, you know, a crisis that in the end the the daughter commits suicide and uh, a big story. But I, I, I'm not going to talk about it here. But the question like this is: the father, the poor father, and I know that he loved his daughter and he saved his life, everything for her. He read the right map, you know. He read that really what going on. Why he let it go to a situation that. It's not, it almost not the dead end. And this is my question to all of us, you know, when you have so many relatives coming to us. How we behemoth, behemoth want them inside? How really, really want them to come to us? Or they feel very desire or not? And sometimes, uh, as a guest, I respect the people that I come to them. I really care about the territory uh, or the or this couple this is very big question to to all all, all the sides you know you know we're talking about parashat shavuot that the kohen gadol had a, a, a coat with bells and uh, you know monim and parmonim bells down and why they need it is a kadosh who need to inform that kohen is the, the, the pre high priest is coming to his place to That's teach right. us territory, give us some kind of border, you know. If we come to other, if you come, if I come to my son room, I will knock the door and ask, son, can I come in? And I expect yeah. him to come to, to, do, to do the same. Yeah. And this is it. Mordechai, continue because I have a lot of phone calls and I have to answer. <laughs> yeah. And it's very true what you're saying. And that is, it's our Part of our job as parents is to recognize what's best for this son, what's best for this daughter. Do they need to go maybe to the other side more often? doesn't mean that they don't love you. When you can give them that heart and give them that care, they will feel it. Now, doesn't mean that you need to be stepped upon. They'll say, okay, give us food, but we're not going to come to you. You can have, and that will be the next part we'll discuss about having the relationship with your children and how to hold them responsible. But we're talking about 
giving a little leeway. And therefore, step number one to avoid a lot of the family fights are Purim and Pesach is not the time to start having family cheshbenas, who's coming and who's not coming. Step one, and that is, during the war is not when you're training or at the war when you're training the soldiers. You train it in advance. There's boot camp in advance. And this is step one. That means identify your hurt that they're not coming. Identify what are the underlying feelings. The underlying feelings are you might be giving so much more, and they're not giving as much as you're giving. And as parents, you have a right at a certain level. It's not only a right, it's an obligation to be teaching our children how to give back. So when a kid is one year old and two years old, they're not giving anything back besides the hug or the kiss when you want to, or you try to get them to copy, say something cute, and sometimes they'll say it, sometimes they won't. But once they start being teenagers, you're expecting already more. You're expecting them to learn. You're expecting them to help out. You're expecting their behaviors. Once they're married, you have even a greater expectation on them. But the expectation is within the realm of they are now their own couple. So step one is, do not start if they're not coming for you for the for the suda. Now is not the time to start making this olchesbeinus. What you might be able to tell them is we're a little hurt, but we're going to have a discussion after Purim, and maybe a couple of days after Purim. And the same thing if it's happening to Pesach, if you want, you can have a conversation with them and tell them you know something Purim is passed, so we don't want to discuss Purim now, but I want to discuss Pesach. And when you sit down with them, you have an open conversation. You actually discuss it with them, telling them, you know, we're our parents. You know, we would like to have you. You know, we have the family at certain times. We would like to have the whole family together. What's holding you back? And you can first do this with your child, means with your son or with your daughter. And then you want to have that conversation with your son-in-law and your daughter-in-law. You don't want your child to be stuck in the middle. Well, why don't you tell your parents that? Or why don't you, why are your parents wanting this when they act a certain way? You want to have them both there eventually have the conversation together and say, what can we do that this happened? You also want to ask, what are the reasons that it's not happening? There might be stuff going on in the family that you're not privy to. There could be that one of the siblings are mean to them. Could be that one of the grandchildren are, are hard or difficult. There could be issues going on just simply on where to sleep or how to stay. So your family might be used to having 10 kids in one room on the floor, and this new son-in-law or daughter-in-law might have a different expectation that I can't squash into this, or I can't have the kids crying, or the kids are they catchy way after. And then what are some other solutions? And the goal for us to realize is now comes the third step is to be flexible. As children get older, we, the adult parents, change. We learn to be more flexible. We learn some more skills. The same as when our kids get married, the whole family dynamic and structure changes. And that is the same thing that happens once the kids, and it comes to young Taivim and to Suda's times. It's what's going on. They might have a different expectation. Your Pesach Seder might be going on till 4 in the morning, and they're used to in their house done by 12 or 12.30. Might be by them, Purim, everyone gets drunk, and by your family, no drinks. And to them, it feels sterile. It feels like a bland Purim. When you can have the conversation and the discussion, then you can start coming up with solutions. So it might be okay. You can start to suited by you or by us and then go over later to your family. Or maybe you'll do one year here or one year like that, and I know it won't be ideal for you. That's what we do for you. You do it for us. We'll work things out. 
there might be many different ideas that will come up. But the idea is not to have the conversation now two days before when you're simmering, why aren't they coming? The goal, the goal is to have it three weeks before. And same thing when it's dealing with Pesach. If you're nervous and tense with the cleaning, if you're nervous and tense with the expenses and the bills, if you're coming with this anger of the last three years, you're not doing this and that, boy, is there going to be pain and hurt. But if it's coming with how do we work out this year, Purim? How do we work out this year, Pesach? What can we do for it to work out? Let me first understand what's happening. Where are you coming from? Then we see major shifts, major changes. I'd like to remind everyone the number to call up to ask your question. is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Okay. So we have the first caller, and I think we'll go to um, just – okay. Let's go to the one in second, please. Sure. And uh, hello, you are there, Mrs. S. Hello, thank you for taking my call, and I want to thank you for everything you do. It's really amazing all the time and effort that you give for just for cholesterol. It's really amazing. Really appreciate thank you. it. Um, and also, I want to say thank you for your book. I I got it recently for as a birthday present. Still in the middle of reading it, but it's amazing, absolutely amazing, fascinating. That. Thank you. You're referring <laughs> um, to the latest uh, book, Mastering Relationships, or the first yes. book of a life? No, Mastering Relationships. Mastering um, Relationships. Yes. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. I'm like more of an earth person, and my husband is like more of a uh, wind. And yeah. I just realized how I have to speak to him a totally different language. It's just amazing. Yes, that is a real Kiddush Hashem. I, I find it such a schluss when you can have a couple speak that way. And already you can already hear how the marriages could have had bumps and how each one looks at it differently. And then you can see how there's a synthesis and understanding a meshing of one. Once you understand your nature and the other nature, now you can really become one. That is so powerful. So thank yeah, you. Just, just hearing the way you described it, you can hear the peace rather than the contention as to why isn't it happening? Why isn't it working out? Yeah. I mean, I've still got uh, a long way to go, but it's amazing the awareness and hopefully... We all do, by the way. With we what, all yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now, I wanted to, um, you, I didn't really hear you speak a lot about addiction. Not sure if there's a reason no, for that. We can talk about it. I have a note. People usually don't bring it up. Right. I know. That, I know. But I thought maybe also, I don't know. No, um, you can go ahead. I'm glad for mentioning it. Go ahead. I just, I heard recently um, somebody that I know was diagnosed with um, emotional addiction. I was wondering if yeah, you can... sometimes they try calling it love addiction. It's not a real addiction, but it's the concept in the addiction languages they call it. Are you referring to that? Um, I imagine. I was wondering if you can just share some light okay, on it. Let's, so let's just... understand the word a little bit of an addiction, because people use these words all over. And right. believe it or not, they're removing... There's, there are very few addictions that's actually like in the DSM, like for a mental disorder. So, for an example, smoking 
is not an addiction. You will not find it's an addiction, but you will not find it in any of the mental disorders. Mm-hmm. And certain levels, they will not call anything addicted because where do you set the shear? What is the amount when someone is, an, is addicted? There is one type of addiction that it matters, that they do bring it down. And I personally, when you know, when I was in college now, going back now for psychology, I actually um, discussed it between the peers stating that the criteria that they use for the one addiction that is mentioned, you can use it for all the other addictions, even for an Internet addiction. There are people that are never stuck 15 hours on the computer and they can't stop. They're stuck. They can't get off it. Mm-hmm. There are people that can have an alcohol addiction. There's, you don't have a DSM, a mental disorder for that. So let's understand a bit what happens with addiction. Addictions, the concept of addiction is that our mind gets taken over by a certain thought or by a certain behavior, and our mind thinks about it the entire time. Wherever we go, wherever we see, that's what we're seeing. But it's not only our thoughts, because you could then say someone's addicted to making money or someone is addicted to whatever else it should be. The concept of an addiction is that your behaviors are in a way that you're not able to function. So take if someone ever has a gambling addiction, they will invest, they will mortgage their house and blow it all on a chance that they will make it. So it's not just that you're thinking about something. Your behaviors are now acting in a way that's not balanced, and you know it, and you can't stop. The next level is when you already don't even realize it's bad, where you're in it for so long that you start thinking this is normal, healthy behaviors. So now, in the concept of addictions, there is sometimes where people don't have behaviors. It could be a thought of something. They could be almost like an OCD. So sometimes you could call an emotional addiction, where they sometimes like someone calling that the love addiction, which they're not doing any behaviors. They're not doing anything. They're just stuck on thinking about someone the entire time, and they're not going to mm-hmm. do anything, but their mind is stuck on that person. And they wish they could talk yeah. to that person. They need to be around that person. They want to feel that person. They want the person to be angry or sad at them. They're just busy with that person, their mind. And the problem is it disturbs their focusness and their actions. So they could be a father or a mother. The minute they hear someone, that person's going to be there, they'll drop what they're doing and go over to that person or hear the person. Mm-hmm or go to the person, or think about the person, and they will be affected in the normal functioning of life. So that is the basics of addiction. The next level to addiction, just because people were talking about alcohol, it's coming up for them now, so I would like to discuss that, as well as smoking. These levels, the take the alcohol and the danger of that, tremendous danger is, that it gets our brain chemically dependent on it. That means that alcohol changes the chemicals in our brain. And it changes our feelings. So now, if someone is depressed or under pressure, and which is happening this generation, we do not know, I should say we do not know, we are forgetting how to have happiness within ourselves that we need now to get together and have a l'chaim. And it's not one L'chaim, the Altaid and the Europe, they all had a L'chaim in the morning, but it was one ounce glass, and that was that. 
today to smile ever gets together, you've got to start having several shots. And now you feel happy and free. And then on the bathroom drink, oh, we feel so free now. This is happiness. And yes, there's a chemicals, the alcohol that it does, that it affects our brain. And now we get stuck in that. And when someone needs that more and more to find their happiness, I've had several clients, Bachram and even adults, which would tell me they drink. They started with one shot in the morning. Now it's already six, seven shots. They have that buzz, as they're calling it. So seven shots is a lot, but that's what they need to focus. And if not, or if they have a difficult time, they can get so angry. So they drink, and now they're calmer. No, you're developing. Your brain is losing the ability to learn to work through a process. You're now self-medicating. And what I told the person is I'd much rather you take medication to calm you down while we teach skills of taking alcohol. Because alcohol is dangerous on your body. And it is, there's an addictive level that you need more of it. And then there's the concept called tolerance, that whenever you give in to the addiction, you need more. So let's imagine someone's on a diet and they give in to a cookie. They don't just take one cookie. They're now knocking down 10, 15 cookies. What happens when someone starts with alcohol or someone starts with smoking or all the other addictions are, after you take that one shot, you felt great for a day and then two days you're doing it in a week, that one shot doesn't do it. You built a tolerance, means your body could now tolerate that, and it's as if you didn't even take a shot. So now you need two shots, and then two shots goes to four shots. And then unfortunately what happens is addictions transfer from one to the other because you need something that has more stimulus that has more emotions to it, that gets you on a high. And that's the trap that people go down that negative, terrible, horrible path. So sometimes if someone has, let's say, they have like that little, little love addiction, they say, what's the big deal? I think about someone, I don't do anything, it's just I'm stuck and there and I don't act on it. Or the people that are sometimes on the Internet or other stuff, they're shopping. What about an addiction to shopping? We don't talk about it. I don't think we've ever spoken about it. Do you know how many shalom biases are affected by a husband or a wife that spends more than the, than the spouse has? Because I know a case where the wife is the one that brings in most of the parnasa. Yeah, the husband's got his big dreams of doing this and that, but bottom line, parnasa, the wife is bringing it in. But yet the husband is busy spending. I need this and I need that. Busy with all his needs, and she's trying to make it work. But what's happening is spending way beyond the levels. And it's an addictive level. How do you know it's an addiction? Because they can't afford it. They're a slavist. They're still not happy. They're in a bad mood. That's when they're shopping. That's their way out. That's not healthy skills. They don't have the healthy skills how to live, how to survive, how to manage through difficult situations. Does this make sense? Yes, absolutely. Did you have um, more of a detailed component to the question that you wanted to ask? Um, no, I, I just I, I heard that basically the, uh, somebody explained to me this that this emotional addiction it means in like the way the person is is um, is like connecting to other people. So it, like it can be even like being let's say angry at every person that he like their way of connecting is always be, like always like yelling and then. No, that's not that's not that's not called an emotional addiction. That's called anger issues. <laughs> There is no such thing. I do a symptom scan in the diagnostic in the DSM-5. There is only one type of addiction. That's it. 
they're, all the other addictions aren't even considered addiction, addictive because they're saying mm-hmm. what might be considered an addiction to one isn't another, isn't to another. So first let's understand that these things aren't called addiction. Now there's someone that can have an anger management issue or someone that has emotional up and downs. They don't have emotional regulation. Their only way that they feel they connect to people is if they are emotional extremes. But that's not called an... I've never heard of an emotional addiction. It's basically... It's uh, this person, like, we basically... I actually thought that they have, um, like, either a a narcissist or a personality disorder, but one thing didn't make sense that, like, everyone can see it. it. I understood personality disorder that people, like, not within... People that don't know the person very closely think that they're very nice people and like very calm and very sweet and but this person everyone so I'm, so this person, like somebody explained to me that no it's 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 an emotional addiction that everyone can see it because that's the way they they connect to people and it doesn't so have to be. Let's not use those words emotional addiction because emotional addiction sounds like we're trying to use diagnosable terms, and what we're talking about is someone that's someone that is stuck. They want to live their life on emotional ups and downs. They don't want the balance. They want highs and lows. They want extreme emotions. And that could actually be a different diagnosis. That could be bipolar. That could be a low-level bipolar. That could be ADHD. That could be someone from an abusive house. That could be someone that went through trauma. They all act those ways. There can be mm-hmm. so many other diagnoses. It could be someone that was raised in a very unhealthy home. Someone that was raised by a borderline mother. Right. There are many reasons, but those those are not necessarily... It could be simple anger issues. Okay. Someone that's got anger issues will be fighting at people, and there are other extremists that they love. They don't want to see that they're mean. They look at it many times. They fight. They're angry. Mm-hmm. Yes, Rob Nissen. We have Miss, uh, Miss S on the line also. Yes. Oh, thank you. Rob Nissen, what do you want to say about this concept? I just, I, I tried to get to get on uh, on the phone lines and to remind our listeners that the phone number is 718-683-5858, And unfortunately, a lot of callers that just uh, disappear on us. So just some... Yeah. And we yeah, have so the... when you call, we answer your call. Just hang on, because yes. we want to give each call its time and really get it to create the awareness. About the you know the addiction, I really don't. I I didn't. I wasn't so uh, participate with uh, your conversation right now. Sorry. Okay. Good. Okay. So does that answer your question, Mrs. S? Yes. Thank you so so much. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's well, welcome. Have, have a, a wonderful night. evening. And Reb let us go to the next Mrs. S. One second. Sure. Okay, Miss S. Mrs. S. Hi, you're on with Mordechai and Reb Nissen. Miss S. Me? Yes, you. Can you hear me? Okay. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Um, it's our pleasure. I want I want to know if I can ask my question in this form of like a story, like. How it happened, okay? So basically, can I just ask you before you do that? I always like the question first, and then you can tell me the story. It just makes it much easier. This is when I hear the story, I know how to apply the information. Okay, bye. 
So my question is basically, um, I realize one of my 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 younger siblings is being manipulated, and I want this. I want you to know how I can help them. One of your younger siblings are being what? Like manipulated. I'm not sure if manipulated is the word, but like like whatever. Very bothered by a friend, and I wanted to know how I can help them. Okay, great. Now you can tell so, us the story. Okay, fine. So a few days ago, I was sitting with one of my younger siblings. I was doing homework with them, and then the phone was ringing. And she looks at the caller ID, and she says, oh, no. She, like, she like looks so frustrated. I said, who is it? So she said, oh, it's one of my friends. I must answer. I said, why do you must answer? She said, if I'm not going to answer, tomorrow she's going to drive me crazy why I didn't answer. And then she said, it's not worth it. just worth it to answer and stay on the phone with her. So I don't know. I didn't know what to do. And so I, I asked her what's going on. She said, this girl, she didn't have friends for a long time. And she decided, she said, no, my girl, my sister, she's very, like, she wants to, like, help everyone, but I don't know if it's in the right place. But she said she didn't have friends, she wanted to help her. So she started being friendly with her, but this girl was, like, overly grabbing her and, like, demanding a lot from her. So she ended up, she has to answer all phone calls. I'm like, she doesn't answer. She yelled at her, and she, and she was, like, she looked so frustrated when she thought this girl was calling. So she, I, I want to know, like, what I could do for her, whatever. If there's, whatever, if there's anything you can help me with. Hello? 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 Yes, yes. All right, let me ask you a question. What would you do if someone was doing this to you? I would tell them, I'm more blunt, I would tell them straight. It's too much for me. I told my sister to do that, but she was doing it in a nasty way because she doesn't do anything usual. She, she, it's, not her, it's not her nature of talking. You know what I mean? Yes. And what I'm hear hearing is, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. Now, mm-hmm. what you're asking is now, that's why the question is very hard to answer, because you want to learn now the skills. How do you teach someone? It's not a simple question of what's the awareness. The awareness is the teacher and to explain to her the dangers of trying to help someone that's too needy, how it affects you, how they might need an adult, your younger sibling might need guidance, and mm-hmm. from your parents involved, maybe. But right. if they're not I, I know ready when my parents are involved. Say that again? It doesn't look like a tall thing. My, my parents are involved, but it doesn't look like a tall thing. <laughs> well, why aren't your parents able to speak to your sister and tell her, okay, this is how we set the boundaries? You can speak for five minutes or ten minutes, and you, you, you practice with the role play. We do that many times. We had the last program. We had... Almost almost every program we've got a question about this and we always role play with those with those teenagers. How I, I like take first, I have them be the needy one and I'm like the healthy friend setting the boundary and then we reverse roles. Then I become mm-hmm. that needy friend and they keep their boundary and then they realize that. So it's more role play. But the first Wait, question I am able to is, help does her, your but, sister like, I want to Let's first what? take it to your sister. Does your sister want to stop? I don't hear you so clear. What did he say? Sure. Is your sister happy with the way the relationship is going? Does she want to get skills on how to change? She wants to stop. She said, I want to go. Wish I could switch classes. Like, I want to get out of there. I can't. She wants to well, stop. So what's wrong when you practice with her how to stop? What happens when you practice? 
I was telling Ritara, um, like, these discussions are too hard for me. I can't discuss. I can't talk about these topics. We can't discuss our relationship. We could just be friends without discussing every second if I'm being your friend or not. And I heard her saying it over to her friend, and she, whatever, it's not saying it the right way. I guess we just have to role-play more and more. That's right. So you, before she does it with a friend, you're role-playing it. Yeah, that's where right, role-play comes right. in. That's where your parents' role-play comes in. Parents' role-play. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what therapists do. We role-play, we practice it, and we also help identify why are some of the weaknesses that she's afraid of. Why is she getting tense? Right. And to also learn that you have the right not to answer the phones at certain times. My parents blocked out her number that shouldn't be able to get through to our phone, but then it was making even more problems for her. So, whatever. Okay, so then your parents get involved, and your parents speak to the schools as well. You get teachers involved. There's a lot of process. So, Basically, what I hear is there's some more role play necessary. Right. Like, my parents do their work, and I should do my, my small what I could do, like, role playing. Yeah. I, want to, I, knew, I knew it's being taken care of. I just didn't know what I'm able to do to help her because I feel so bad. So, the, you're saying the role playing is a good thing to do with her. Yeah. Let's something. How about you can also let go? The way you'll teach us to let go is by you letting go, telling your parents, look, maybe you need to speak to a professional or speak to the school. Uh, or a professional the school has how to guide our daughter, but uh, your art, you know, my sister, your daughter, but I want to let go. It's wonderful that you want to help her, but sometimes the way to teach people how to let go is actually the first one being that person. Mm-hmm. What's the problem with being involved? Yeah. Well, if you tell your sister, you know something, there are skills out there, I've learned it. Speak to mommy, speak to Tati, speak to the school, and uh, we can talk about other stuff. The same way what you want her to do to that girl, you do it with her. Model it. Actually show her how it's done. I don't get it. I just I don't get it. What would happen if you tell your sister, I am not getting involved with your issue with your friend. That's mommy's and Tati's job. We can talk sister stuff. Right. It's not right. It's not like she spoke to me about it. I just, it just popped in, but... Great. So now you can let go, and you can show her the way I'm not getting involved is the way you will learn not to get involved with this friend and emotional stuff. That's just another solution. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Sure, you're welcome. And I'd like to share with everyone the number to call up is 718-683-5858. And we look forward to taking your Um, questions and your comments. Did you get the text? Yes. We're going to read a text over here that you've sent. And again, I'll ask parents, this is the reason why we don't take questions under the age of eight, but we'll take this one. Good evening. Thanks for your awareness and help. I was wondering if you could answer. Can a little kid have a split personality? And I'm going to write please, Well, let's continue the question. A four-year-old kid who can be an angel and appreciate and participate in class beautifully and within a half hour can turn into her own world literally, not participating in anything, looking sideways. Any way to explain this? Absolutely. This is called a normal child. This is how they're supposed to be acting. 
Whoever asks this question, I beg of you with the greatest kindness, please take a parenting workshop and do not sign up to my parenting workshop that I give once a year at Shemaphis Don't do that. You need a one-on-one in person or in a group, but then you're going to speak to the person one-on-one. Chas v'shalom, to call that a child or even think that a child like that has got split personality. They're supposed to be all over emotionally. They're supposed to be able to concentrate and then disappear in their mind. This is the most normal, healthy, wonderful child. And the reason why I say Hashem Yishmar is because if there's even a thought that your child isn't well, you're going to start looking at this and go, hey, what's wrong with them? Why aren't they like this? And sounds like if you can ask this question, you need someone to hold your hand and it's going to take you through different stages of child development that this is normal. So it's normal for the kid to want to study and then the kid not to want to study. It's normal for the kid to all of a sudden have accidents at a certain age. It's normal for the kids to not want to go to school all of a sudden. It's normal for the kids to start saying, I hate you, mommy, or I hate you, Tati, and then loving you and hugging you. These are all normal, but if you're already worried about a kid that has a split personality... That means you're missing the olive face. I want to guide you and help you what a healthy child goes through. So therefore, please, only take a workshop that will be in person, a parenting workshop, where you can speak to that person one-on-one or speak to Mechanach one-on-one. What do you say to that before we go to our next call? Yeah, I, I, I would say, first of all, just I don't know if the, if the parents wrote it or maybe the, the, the teacher. If it's the teacher, please... Just take out, you know, as you said, parenting, take a, a, a teacher uh, uh, group, you know, workshop. Yeah. Because, you know, when but you tag, tag a child and it's so difficult to take it out from him, you know, and you say you can't call the parent. You know what, mommy, your child is, is angel in one minute and in one second. Is, it's mean that you don't have any experience when That's I tell right. you, this is something that and you have to... the parent's view is so is important, or a teacher's exactly. view. You can label a child, and the child will feel it, and will think they're crazy, and they're crazy. I work on someone that someone just, just, just today, I'm not going to share the details, but basically, they just want to know they're normal. I wrote on a piece of paper, you are normal, and you went through trauma. This is called trauma. You're normal. And they felt so good they could have a paper... And they couldn't realize for years they were sure that people told them they're crazy. They are the most normal, 100% healthy person I've ever seen ever. Their, their diagnosis is that people, people with issues labeled them. Yes. Nebuch, Nebuch, you know, we, have, we have, unfortunately, sometimes in, in the schools, unexperienced teachers or, or and, you know, that just put in the head of the parents. Kids is not good, not. And I, I mean, from my personal life, I know this. I know that when you tag a, a boy or girl, it's take them for years to get out of this. And the parents just put them a tag and label them. This is take out all this conspiracy right, theory. So you know, this take no out. No one diagnosed anyone under eighteen, and it's, that's why we don't take questions for kids under eight. Because I want you to know very simple. Maybe we should clarify it. We don't take questions under eight because everything they do is normal. The ups, the downs, they're all normal. It's all age appropriate. They're not liars. They're not the imagination. They're not That's right. stealers. They're not liars and they're not got nothing. They're not thieves. This is appropriate. This is what kids do when they get older. They turn that six and seven and they want that snack. So they'll do it. 
And that will, for those that have those kids that would take somebody from a grocery, don't attack them. Don't beat them up. Don't yell. You explain it to them. You make them go back to the grocery store. You, you might pay for it. You have them learn consequences, but this is age-appropriate. doesn't mean every one of your kids will do it. It might even be one of your five or six kids, but it's still normal for kids to do. It's normal for kids to lie. This is still normal. And they learn. We learn not. So it's called integrity. How many of us still till today make those little white lies? That for our level, it's far worse than what they're doing. So most things are normal. And we get these questions. That's why... I'm recommending not like a workshop like by me, which is over the phone and you can send a message. You need guidance. You might need an, a one-hour conversation with this person, go through them and the guidance. It's the one-on-one that's so important that will help you. Great. Uh, I, you know, we have other text about the, uh, I don't know if you, if you but we'll, let's take the caller first, okay? Sure, we'll take the caller, then maybe uh, just send it again. I didn't get the other text. Okay, okay. Sure. So we're going now to Mrs. K. Mrs. K. Hello? Yes, hello. Hi. Um, I read your book, Alive. I read the other one also. Yes. And I simply couldn't um, apply, though, if I see that, let's say, the prospect of doing things is faced with dread. Even if once I do it, I'm fine, but the prospect of it is so intensely dreading i didn't i couldn't figure out how to apply from that book exactly what it means well, or what, what suggestion can words. you give one of the steps i work with our clients and this is one of the steps that we work when people sometimes have anxiety or stress is we we recognize words that we use words have power would you notice the first thing when you're speaking were the words that you used in dread i wonder if we can tone it down a little to how about when I got to do certain tasks, I start getting concerned. I start doing intense those dread things. Versus concern, I start getting concerned. Is a lower you? How? What number would you give the level if someone says I got to do something and I feel intense dread from one to ten? Ten is the highest pressure. What number would you assume that person feels? If it's intense, then it's you know high. Go give me an and dread. That's also a strong word. Okay, so let's say the word would be, I don't want to. Let's hold on. You're already jumping ahead of the process. This is part. We spend with clients one or two sessions on this concept. This is cognitive therapy, changing awareness, changing your thoughts. Notice the words that you used, intense dread. What, if I would ask you, if I would use the words, I have to do this radio show, and also I feel intense dread, what number would you assume from 1 to a 10, 10 being the strongest? that I am afraid. Ten. Good. Now, what would happen if I would change the words that sometimes when I do a radio program, I get concerned? What number would you say then my intensity is from one to ten, ten the highest, and one is the most at ease? So it could be six, seven, but I still don't see... If I say sometimes I'm concerned, you hear a six, seven, intense red is a ten, and sometimes concerned it could be to you to me sometimes concerned concern that's okay i would give it a three that's by me okay i i understand how to do that like cognitively but um i still don't see how changing the wording 
really changes the intensity. It just sort of comes So then up. you don't get it. So why say you understand it if you don't get it? How about you change your words again? I'm not understanding how changing the words will change the intensity of my feelings. Okay. Does changing the words have to come along also with um, an, an emotional change as well? Because words well, could be here's just where words. cognitive therapy comes in. So you want an immediate solution. Notice your words. Intense dread. How do I deal with it? Right away. And therapy doesn't do that. The only thing that does that is medication, and only one or two types of medications work instantly. But in therapy, it's a process. And Mary Hashem, after Pesach, I'm probably be doing this workshop of stress to inner peace, which is how you calm down stress, which is, and it's the same skills, those that have anxiety. And this is one of the skills that we discussed there. The words that you use will affect your body and will affect your brain. So I want you to be very clear. You use the words intense dread. Then if I ask you now to clarify what was that action, then you said, oh, it's something I don't want to do. Something I don't want to do, why is that causing intense dread? It's something I don't want to do. I don't like it. Intense dread is strong words. So again, I want you to understand very clearly, words that we use will affect you. So if you start using words, I'm so anxious, I'm so nervous, then you will find yourself building yourself up in a frenzy. This is one of the big stuff, one of the big, um, let's say, even in the dialectical behavioral therapy methods, that, that that's what they do. Okay, so what would be the suggestion? for So first, um, changing the words. So first, then, let's try it out. You see, you're, let me, you're theor, we're talking theoretically, and therapy is very different. Therapy is about, well, let's, let's do two examples. Could you give me another example, words that you would use in the past or in a different situation or somewhere else where you had intense dread? Tell me the word, and now tell me how you're going to change the word. You want to hear eight skills, and none of them are going to work because they need to be practiced. You've got to start step one, and then you go to step two, and then you go to step three. That's called therapy. So I first want to at least give you and to all our listeners to hear step one. So we're now before program, and people go, oh, yeah, I'm having a heart attack. There's so much that i got to do. I'm having a nervous breakdown. I can't get the Shalach Mana set up. These words, I wish we didn't have this whole party. I'm so overwhelmed. If you use these words, that is what you're going to be feeling. You will be building yourself up there. So now, can you share, me a, share with me a scenario where you felt intense dread? Okay, so I can share right about before poem, right? Um, I feel pressured, so that's the word that's making me feel overwhelmed, to come up with all the proper shalchamanas for teachers and and stuff. I'm pressured because I don't know... I don't have complete direction of what to do. Excellent. So, so far, I'm hearing a whole concept of perfectionist by you. No, this is not about perfection. It's about having direction. So I'm going to ask my question again, and you can again um, tell me that I'm wrong. I'm hearing perfectionist. Let me show you where I hear perfectionist. What is the issue that you have to do? I just need an idea of what to give them. 
It could be something You buy a Shalach Manas for $20 at the local store and you give it to every one of them. And what they need and what they appreciate is a beautiful card. That's it. Now, why is there intense dread for a question that you could just ask your other, your, your child's fellow classmate, another classmate? Just ask them, well, why is there these strong emotions for this is a simple question? Because everyone pulls to different things. I am not pulling to this idea of spending twenty dollars and just giving and writing a nice card. Now it, you're using I'm, the word pull, and I'm using the word perfectionist. You want to have the exact, the best thing. You need something for it to not fit. Not relating to that. No. Then not what perfectionist. Do? <laughs> Watch. If why does it ha- Why do you have to be pulled to it? Why? Just like you're everybody getting has different dread ideas. over something because you're not being pulled? Something doesn't match. Okay, so I think I should give another example. Go ahead. Of something I don't want to do, let's say bathing children. Okay. Is it your child? M- yeah, my kids. Okay. Well, then why do you have such an intense feeling? That's what parents love doing. It's the cutest thing. They smile. They give you that cutie face with a shampoo all over their hair. And they because get their eyes and then work. they cry. It but feels then they like it's hard work. And then they put those toys. And then they almost drink the water. And then you're like, oh, what are you doing? And then all this stuff. It's the cutest feeling, bathing kids. But it still requires work. Bingo. So I hear again perfectionist to you work. Is work that it has to be perfect? Perfectionist or is it dreading to work or not liking to work hard? Well, why is bathing kids working hard? Like, like let's go like. back to the Shalach Manus. Where do you see making Shalach Manus hard? Why can't it be easy as well? I, I, can't, I don't see how bathing kids comes into perfection. Very simple. How would you feel if you could put the kid in the bathtub and literally a minute later the kid's out? I can do that. Good. Then where's the pressure? The prospect of it still gives me pressure. Once because I'm doing it, I'll no, do it no, 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 stop, stop. Now I'm going to challenge you. I'll, I'll challenge to my tougher clients. What's stressed about it? What's the big deal? You did it in less than a minute. Why is it hard? Why is the prospect of it hard? I, I ask myself that a lot. I don't know. So in therapy, we help you identify. Until you can identify what, you won't see the underlying core. And it mm-hmm. might be of your childhood. Might what was going on in your family. Might be you had family members and when they had to do certain tasks, everything was yelling and screaming and you're stuck with that in your head. Just doing behaviors. Might be you might have been to bathe certain siblings when you didn't want to. And now you're resenting that role in that position. That's where trauma, that's where overburdening kids come in. So how would that's that be where a parent needs to have the healthy balance of how much to give your teenage children to help. And how much not to? So how would that be addressed in, addressed in therapy if, you know, a person could identify and then? Then to each of those situations would be a different method in therapy. That's why I believe in therapists learning many skills. We would find out what's going on. Find out what, what, how, how much this person's functioning, how much this person's not functioning. Find out how they're married. How are they in their marriage makes a big difference in the method and therapy that we'll be doing for this person. Is their husband nice, caring, and helping, or is their, par- is their husband 
someone like their past, where they came from, demanding, neglectful, and overbearing. Each of those are taken into account when we make a treatment plan. And a therapist that has more knowledge and different skills, means they have more tools in their toolbox, will be able to say, okay, we're starting with this tool. Later down the line, we're going to do that tool. And then you change the process. But not that you change means each step you're dealing with a different pain or a different issue. So if this is in construction, or if I would ask you, and someone has to redo a house, would you do every house the same? Or would you always learn there are new types of sheetrock or new types of machines that can see what pipes are going in the wall or it's better, where you should cut open, where you shouldn't? That's... Is there one simple process for everyone, Rebnissim? Not at all. Not at all. And, you know, as much as you know, you know that you don't know. But uh, the old truth that uh, I tell you, coming to some a situation, for example, that you challenge yourself and you see that you have to know about electricity, about plumbing, about air conditions and everything. And this is, and when you know this, as much as, more than you know, as better you are a contractor and better, that, that's exactly that with life, you know. When you have a, we're a good therapist that's in knowledge with all the different sections, different fields, so he can direct it to the right now, you know, then just not in one path that uh, is stuck on it. You know, this is the beauty about our life. That's right. That's right, and the same as in therapy. The more the therapist knows, the more they're able to realize different ways to help you, and if you need an expert in an area then the therapist will either be an expert or they'll know who to send to. So I want you to know you sound pretty young. The life that Rabbi has created is meant to be enjoyable. means there's going to be bumps, but it's meant to have life. You're meant to feel connected. The Rabbi is Chaim. The Rabbi is R. Life. Light. And if you're not feeling that a large part of your day is life, you're not feeling a large part of your day is in the light. You're walking with Hashem. Be aware that's the way He wanted it. And Yiddishkeit was Hashem, not meant to be a burden. It was meant to be a way of light. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. And the put rocks and stones in this world that's going to be in our path. But we grow from there. We get stronger from there. Yes, we all have down days. We all even have down weeks. But most of our times are going to be happy, positive, with a goal, with a purpose. And bathing kids are amazing. My wife has told me, she went to a certain share, there's a certain Robinson that was speaking, and I so appreciated it. And this Robinson was saying, mothers realize every time you're peeling a carrot, that's your scar, that's your thought. And she was saying, today's these women are only feeling value if they're a teacher, if they're working. No. The primary job is take care of your kids. You're cooking and you're making supper. That's your primary job, and you're getting an Olam Haba huge one that way. You're doing the laundry. Feel great. You're braving the kids with a smile, and your kids are feeling clean. That's great, and they feel good about their body. That's great. That's the job. The job is bringing Parnassah to learn, bringing the Yiddishkeit. Not that we're saving the world. Not that we're doing outside stuff. But our primary job, take care of your wife. Is your wife happy? Are your kids happy? 
That's the primary job. That's where our Olam Haba comes from. And somehow, I don't know other generations, but I work with people, and our primary jobs, we're so not enjoying it. We're not appreciating the kayak of doing the, our job. That's, that's our key. Rabnissa, what do you say? You know what? I don't. I I remember myself. You know this. You know in the winter carrying some garbage bags. You know, and I I, I was so you know in my age and stuff like this. And I said, "Thanks God, I really can do it." You know, I'm doing it. I'm happy to do it. Even it's not. You know, it sounds like, but I carry just garbage bags, and it's you have to look in the, and all the, all the puzzle, all the pictures. That it's. One day you just carry the garbage. One time you take shower for the kids. I'm just, and the time is flying. And believe me, when you take a shower for the kinder, for the kid, and you remember all your life, the kid, as, as Rabbi Mordechai described it with, with the shampoo, with everything, you know, it's unbelievable. It's beautiful, you know, really something that you will remember it forever. And even you take a picture, one day you show it to the kid. You know, did you play yeah. in the bus in the bus tub? Yeah, but please, I I, I do. I I'm, I'm you know I enjoy to take uh, with my wife to take the, my my grandchildren. You know, my wife loves to do it. <laughs> she cannot resist it. And every time that my grandchildren come home, she 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 loves to 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 bath them. You know, the babies and stuff. Like this it's it's experience. Yeah. And look, look the smile. Look everything. You know, make it with a smile. Make it with you know that practice. Joy. Really, practice it. Yes. And Rabnis, I actually am going to read one of the texts, which I think is, we can, it's not the exact question of this caller, but I think it's more similar. And this is the message. You spoke on a previous show about mothers not hugging their children. You spoke about how much it harms the child and affects them when they get married. Just before I continue the message, this is the part that I want to connect to you, the caller. When the kids are in the bath, and they feel the mother's calmness and easiness about their body and easiness about getting wet and crying and all that stuff. This is part of developing our children's senses, their bodies, feeling comfortable, hands touching water, hot, cold, sticking their hands, little three-year-old kids jumping in mud, six-year-old boys jumping in mud when it's raining and the parents are going, oh, my gosh, you're loving it helps develop their senses. I just want to continue reading the message. You spoke about how much it harms a child and affects them when they get married. Well, I'm that little child now, an adult in marriage, and I'm in therapy for a while, but still I have a hard time tolerating touch or emotional connection, any specific things for me to do. You said something about the dog therapy, and most of the time when we deal with clients like that, we send them also to massage therapists, licensed massage therapists, legal licensed massage therapists. That's for the lady to go to a lady therapist, for a man to go to a man therapist. And we sometimes even say, do it even on top of the clothing. Just start getting used to touch. Or, or there's some sensory, some occupational therapists that can do sensory stuff, but there's a lot that needs to be done. This is not a question that we would address over the line, like an idea what to do, but to be aware, go to a therapist that might have experience with it. You have animals, you know, that you just, you know, use animals. Right. Yes, there's someone that, I, that I've gone to, yeah, just having a dog, or sometimes even going to these pet shops, just going there. But still, 
the, the call that you're stating now is I want you to realize for you to appreciate your job, value being a mother, this will have long-term effects on your children, Meritashem. When your children are healthy and functioning, it's because you did everything right. I don't like the word everything. because you did so much right, and that's our goal. Thank you for the call, Mrs. K. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to... Yes, Can I ask another uh, question? Tell you, I got to go, so let's make it, let's see if we can do it a one-minute question. Let's see if we give a one-minute answer. Okay, Um, if I understand that um, some people have more intense emotions and some don't, is that nature? Let's say somebody has very intense emotions and another person sort of um, knocks them by by saying why why are you thinking so why are you thinking so deeply into things i just want to understand yeah. this the person that's knocking does that mean that she has an emotional um problem or that it could just be it's her nature not to think so deeply or how about the other way how about i would even give a third option they think so deeply but they try telling everyone else not to think deeply that's so classic usually the people that have that problem tell others don't think about it yeah, so I sometimes the uh-huh. the place where they're weak is where they tell others it's not a don't don't do that. Mm-hmm. People with anxiety tell their kids don't be nervous. Oh, you're gonna do that? It's gonna end terrible. You're gonna look like no, me. But don't could be there nervous. be a person that, that. that really? Could there be people that are just not deep thinkers and that well, emotions could be don't? All the above. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you sure. very much. You're uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, We'll do it just quickly, but I know that one response, you know, we got a response about the the four-year-old kid. Yeah. And as we know, as we we know that, you know, yes, it's the the teachers that basically make the remark to the, okay. Thank you. So that's right. Let me me actually read it where the person said it. I feel that's very important. Thank you for the response. I, the parent, think it's normal. I ask the question because the teachers are pointing it out to me and see like she's not the norm. I appreciate Francis. Well, maybe she's not doing the norm. Maybe there is something different about her. But Hashem, split personality, you can't diagnose that till you're 18 and above. Four-year-old kids shut down all the time. Especially if your kid is a real smart and brilliant child, your child could be sometimes two, three years ahead of the age where she's happy doing her own stuff, where she's a natural leader. Yes. And she enjoys participating, and then she enjoys being in her world. That's not a chassarin. That's brilliant. That's creative. That's a leader. Leaders are able to hear and have vision that other people don't see. And a boring teacher. <laughs> That's right. And a very grounded, logical, earth teacher that doesn't see the vision that this child has. So again, I don't want to knock a teacher but to diagnose, definitely not. And maybe, because I do also respect teachers, maybe find out if there's another teacher or have them observe by someone, but you might very likely, everything sounds healthy, but sometimes you can see something off at a four-year-old, and therefore it should maybe be observed. But again, four-year-old kids, please, let's not diagnose split personality. We'll go to Mrs. E. She's patient. Hey, Mrs. E. Hi, e. last call. Yeah. You're on with Mordechai and her on this one. Hi, appreciate you taking my call. Um, firstly, I really like want to thank you for your line. It's really an amazing, inspirational line. And You're also, welcome. Um, I want to thank you 
Because I, mean, I want to thank you for your amazing, incredible book, Master Relationships. Um, thank you. I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> and the question is, um, I found myself a lot in the wind nature. Um, however, my the job that I landed was more like a practical, a practical. Uh, I'm a teacher, sure. and uh, and uh, it, I am happy. I use I use the parts of me that are more like logical and practical, but I always get this feeling like after, like after a while or every so often I get the feeling that I could be doing so much more and I have the visions like you described in the wind. I have I have more like aspirations and I, I wish I could do more. So I know that like there's two parts to this. Like I know that you, a person has their responsibilities and their duties and they need to like keep going to a job that they have and they can't just like find it the perfect thing out there. They can't wait for the perfect thing to land on their lap. On the other hand, I think that a person's talent should, like if you have aspirations, you should um, pursue them. So I want to know if you could maybe enlighten me maybe um, to explain what a healthy balance would be for a person when they have their duties and they have their desires. Or I think issues. you've answered it. That is the balance. The balance is to have wind and the balance is to be earth, to be grounded, and this tug-of-war is normal and natural. And at times you got to tell the earth, we got to be dreaming more. I could do more. And at times the mind says, I got to do more. You got to say, but at the end of the day, this is enough. So at the beginning of the day, you've got to tell yourself, I could do more. And at the end of the day, you got to say, whatever I did was Bashar. And tomorrow will continue. That's the, this is the struggle. Your struggle is a struggle in life. Everyone struggles. Every human being, till 120, besides the biggest of Tadikim, where they've done their task, that they're here for us. But other than that, that's our struggle. That's called being human struggle. That's every day. Mm-hmm. But the question is, like, it's not like, like somebody needs to find a more creative job or like stop because they still have the responsibility. So, like, yes, I have that. Course. I've just pushed something off today because I want to do my responsibility, but I have other responsibilities. And I had to make a tough decision to push something off or not to push it off. And I made a choice to push something off again for another two and a half months. This Mm -hmm. is the struggle in life. Welcome to life. Be at ease with it. Embrace it. Right, Ravnissa? What do you want to say to this? You know, this is every every moment is our decision. You know, we feel that we are not achieving, but we have to to realize that we we, 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 we are... just um, Basav Adam, and we don't have, you know, all the ability or to do everything that we want to do, but right. accept it, to accept it, you know, and another tomorrow is a day, a new day. Tomorrow is, is a new challenge. You know, so many yeah, times, I'm, you know, we yeah. said, uh, we said, uh, men make plans and love, uh, and God love. And this is so many times you started the day, uh, with a certain idea that you planning to do. And after a few minutes, you find yourself in the ex- exactly the other opposite side, you know. Yeah. And uh, right. that's... And that's <laughs> thinking, like, I know, I know certain people that um, they reach, let's say, a certain age, let's say they, they're older people, and they feel that, they, they express, they, like they share, that they, they feel they never got any, like they feel that they didn't, they never did anything with their talents or such type of thing, so... Well, that's because they so, didn't have the balance. They didn't do earth stuff. People stuck in the wind, so then they finish their lives saying, I didn't do anything. It's very sad. Sometimes sense. they need a little bit of therapist to help them see what they did do. Sometimes that's like they ate Sahara. And I don't like using 
Yiddishkeit words. I'm just saying that's like the heart of the brain. They didn't learn how to quiet the negative side, the part that says I should have done more. That's balance. It is very sad to see an pe- old person that you yeah. think that is like is wa- waste his life. It's very and sad. And they've done so much, especially when they've done so much. I usually don't like saying about Tarets, but Rafan has one of the nicest verbals that I see when he says, when we know there's a Tzaras in the building and you knock it down and then you see this gold, he says the amount of times that he sees Bacharim or you have adults saying, I'm worthless, I'm worthless, and he says, in their walls are gold and they're not seeing it. If you have older people that walk at the end of their life saying, oh, there's nothing, I didn't accomplish anything, look at the buildings, the diversity you've created, look at the happiness and the health. And sometimes they imagine, did I change the world? It's just chus. An extra chus if you can do that. But just chus, your job is, did you raise, did you do the right steps, did you live with the Rebbein And if yes, you're a success, and I live with that. I walk around with lots of regrets many times and things I could do and should do. And it's about, what did I do today? This is, again, the request, the, the problem they're saying is I'm sharing every human has it. And there's a way to learn to be at peace with where you're at, with what you've done and with what you haven't done. Mm. All right, I need okay. to go. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking thank the time. Thank you so much for staying up. I appreciate it as well. Rav Nissen, thank yeah, you. Thank you very much. And really appreciate that you <laughs> challenge with your only one device without the computers. And uh, Yeah, I am. I, yeah, I am. Yes, people I don't know that I'm at a shleishim and I had to go down without a computer, without able to hook up the lines and everything else. And blindly, the Baruch Hashem was a beautiful siyata d'shmaya. Okay, thank you very much. And I uh, apologize to the listeners that took waited online patiently and couldn't take it. So we are continuing. Yes, we apologize. So please call next week right away and we'll take your callers first. Okay, great. Okay, and we are continuing regular program and we have now DJ Neria Cohen is continuing the program. Oh.